Welcome to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast for fans who aren't ready to let go and newcomers to the series who are ready to jump in. I'm Marie Vigourou. And I'm Drew Shulman. In this episode, we're diving into Supernatural Season 4, Episode 18, The Monster at the End of This Book. Let's get this show on the road. I live on the internet. These are the kind of episodes that have been, for the most part, not spoiled for me, but I'm aware of them. Like, I know we meet the Scooby gang. We literally go into a, like, Scooby-Doo cartoon. I know that there is another episode where they end up, like, in infomercials or on TV shows. Like, random dude has been writing Supernatural, the smutty novel, for the last four seasons? Did not come up somehow? I'm shaken that I was caught off guard by this. I literally, like, I think my notes, I somehow, like, I normally, like, I rarely all caps things unless I really want to yell about something. This notepad today was just all caps. I started having to use bold and eventually raise my font size by the end of it. This was a surprise to you, like, something that you really weren't expecting. Zero. Well, let's go into the recap with zero expectations because we have so much to talk about today. Count me down. Three, two, one, go. The brothers end up in some cool little comic book shop and they're asking questions. And the comic book guys are like, oh, I know you're fans of that Supernatural book because you're cosplaying them. And they're like, what are you talking about? Find the book. What the hell? This is a real thing. Find the publisher. Publisher moons them. Long story uh, leads them to the guy who wrote these books, who had a pseudonym that was literally Ben Edlin and uh, Carver. It turns out he's like some sort of weird visionary psychic and he's been writing his dreams down into these books, not realizing that they were real, thinking he's a god maybe. But then it turns out God's been doing this to him because Cass reveals he's a freaking prophet and he's actually like writing the next Bible book that will be the Book of Winchester, which puts our podcast into so many weird realms of discussion we have to get into. The prediction is that Lilith is going to sleep with Sam somehow. So Dean tries to stop it and does because Cass kind of cheats the system to let him stop it. Time. Oh, right. Zachariah, that guy from the last episode I really didn't like, the dickhead angel shows up to be menacing. Can we go into the long game? Because I'm sure there's some stuff like I feel like this is an episode where I watched it so recently and it's so fresh in my mind that there are probably really important details that didn't hit me right yet. So I need the long game more than ever to really kind of like center me. Today's going to be a game of poker face for me because there is so much in this episode that speaks to later parts of the series, like much later part of the parts of the series. So this is kind of like going to be an Easter egg hunt for our listeners who have listened, like watched the whole series, because there's some things that I'm going to say that I can't emphasize, but that are important. And let's see how many of those things our listeners can actually pick up without you picking them up. Okay, let's fire away. First, we are introduced to Chuck Shirley. So as you mentioned, so he's the one who wrote a book series called Supernatural with a, I quote, underground cult following, telling the story of two brothers, Sam and Dean, who drive around the U.S. hunting monsters. And it turns out that Chuck is a prophet. Right away, there's the whole he thinks he's the one doing all this. He's some sort of evil god. To me, like my first instinct, and I feel like this has become like a pit I've fallen into multiple times where I just go like, well, his power just sounds like Sam's. He's just having premonitions. 
Like, he's not just one of the special kids, or he's just a, a form of psychic. But no, no, uh, Cass shows up, and he's a prophet, and that's just, like... Basically, the writers of this show really, like, called us out with the underground cult following. I was like, oh my god. <laughs> this basically sparked a whole conversation on TikTok about how, like, if there is a fandom in the supernatural universe, is there a carrying wayward in the supernatural universe? And do Sam and Dean listen to it as they drive in the Impala? <laughs> Are we, like, almost implied canon in Supernatural? Listen, at this point, there's a couple of TikTok creators who agree on Supernatural talk. So that's all I'm going to say. So like you mentioned, the pen name of Chuck is Carver Edlund, which refers to Jeremy Carver and Ben Edlund. Very, very nice. And... We find out that Supernatural, the book series, is much more R-rated than the show. Uh, Dean says that he's full frontal. What we see as an audience in the form of a television show is not like a direct adaptation of what the books would be. The books go into every detail. So things that we don't see because they are implied or they cut away because you can't show that kind of sex on TV, they can show <laughs> or write. There's also an acknowledgement of Sam girls, Dean girls and Slash fans. Oh, that was an awkward conversation to watch. So basically, the show acknowledges, quote unquote, Wincest, which is the ship name for Sam and Dean together. I think eventually we're going to need to do like a shipping culture minisode going a bit more in depth about like the origin of that particular ship and why people see it in the show. Also, like how the arrival of cast like really shifted those dynamics. But honestly, like this is just not for today. I'll just I like to recap this scene because it does end with the the two of them very clearly denouncing it as like not being OK with it. So just like we just side with them on this one. It's fine. I mean, listen, we are now mid season four. I think it's very clear where we stand. So that's all I'm going to say. But I do take like an academic interest, I guess, in it, because I I always like to understand why people think certain things. This is the first mention of Dr. Sexy MD. Uh, we don't know it yet, but basically that's going to evolve to be a nod to Grey's Anatomy. I like that it will become a recurring thing. It's, I've heard it mentioned before in the fandoms. Yeah, and that does follow through, like through the seasons, which I think is really funny. And I just want to read the following line from the show. It's such a complete series with Dean going to hell and all, because Dean was so strong and sad and brave and Sam... I mean, the best parts are when they cry. So I'm just going to say this. Jensen, Daniil, or anyone at Chaos Machine, please hire me to write your reboot. That's all. Thank you. Just hire me to write your reboot. I have an excellent knowledge of Supernatural. <laughs> I, I get the vibe you may already have some of it like pre-written in some form. I mean, it's all in my head. All I need to do is put words to paper. But in all seriousness, I heard the publisher speak and I'm like this is what a lot of people in the fandom sound like you know like and me included right like <laughs> the way she brought up heart and home like I mean she may as well have brought up faith and she would have been me while we're on the publisher for a second can I share a fun fact about her she is the actor who is infamously in that scene from Final Destination 2 with the log truck no way oh my god Oh, a movie about fate. Hmm, interesting. <laughs> we get to see the anti-possession tattoos. 
this isn't the first time. I feel like we've seen them before at least once. We've seen them before, but we get a little flash of them again, which is always nice. And then, of course, as I mentioned, she moons them by revealing hers, which is just like a whole other bucket of worms. It's the image of like the fangirl, you know, which we'll go into details at some other point because that is a recurrent theme on this show. But yeah, this is, I guess, our first introduction to supernatural fangirls. The fact that it's an introduction scares me because that means there's going to be more of them, which is going to be for some interesting content, I assume. Oh, there's going to be a lot more of them. At one point in the episode, Chuck says, obviously, I'm a god, which honestly is pretty funny. And he says something about like, you know, all for the sake of literary symmetry. I toyed with your lives, your emotions for entertainment. I'm having a moment here where I feel like I'm clearly being excluded from something because I like both these lines and I feel like you're drawing a line between them that I'm not getting. He says that he dreams this stuff, right? But here he says that he has, he toys with their lives, their emotions and everything. So I just kind of find it like interesting, like where does he see his role, right? Is his role only to write down the quote unquote word of God or does he have a say? Does he interpret, you know, like does he embellish? With this line, to me, it's not clear. It gives it more credence when he references specifically, I think it's Bugs. Well, there's Red Sky at morning, I think, with the the pirate ship, the racist truck. (laughs) Dean mentions the racist truck, but then Chuck very specifically says it is. It's the pirate ship and the bugs. And I put you through bad writing, which I just thought was, oh, just like a little cherry on an already amazing cake that is this episode. But we, we, we may continue. We've criticized the writing team a couple of times for bad writing. So I feel like this is just kind of them being like, a bit (laughs) self-aware of what the fan reactions have been, audience reactions have been to these particular episodes. These kind of self-aware jokes, I really enjoy it. I also like that Cass, while he has Dean in full view, tells Chuck that he admires his work. (laughs) Yes, you do, Cass. We know. It's okay. We also see Dean praying to Cass for the first time. At first, I really didn't think it was to cast specifically, but on like not rewatch, obviously, but like reconsidering the scene, who else would he have been praying to? There's literally no other person. He doesn't he is outright claimed he doesn't like God and thinks God is like bad at what he's doing. The only person in a higher position that he has any connection to is Cass. So clearly it was a pray to Cass. You're right now. I I don't know if it was just me in that moment being so overwhelmed by so many other things, but like. Well, I mean, he certainly wasn't praying to Ruby or to Zachariah or to Anna, like. Ariel, you're still there, right? Bygones are bygones. I also think that this is the first time that we explicitly hear about archangels. It is, and I'm really bummed we didn't get to see one. I mean, realistically, for budget reasons, it's supernatural. Yes, it would have been a guy wearing business casual clothes, right? Like, we know we know this is what angels are at this point. It's this weird thing with angels and clothing. I never, I, you're right. It's this weird business casual thing going on. We did hear about Archangel Michael in Houses of the Holy, but at the time, like, we didn't really think that angels existed for real, for real in the universe anyway. I'm just going to assume we meet Michael eventually. He's too big a name in the angels that, like, you don't bring him in. I mean, there aren't a ton of archangels anyway, from what I understand. At this moment in the story, 
prophets are protected by archangels. And I really want us to keep that in mind. Mental note, check. Mental note, check. Lilith says that she wants Sam and Dean's heads on sticks, which directly brought me back to wishful thinking, where Sam basically says the same thing about her. They want the same thing. Hmm. Let's move on to story time. Today, our theme is conviction, not in the legal setting, like to convict someone of something, but more like as a firmly held belief or opinion. It comes from a Latin word that means to conquer, overcome, or defeat in argument. So let's keep that in mind as we discuss the choices of Sam, Dean, and Cass in this episode. So with Sam as our starting point, what do you have this week? I think that Sam is convinced that he has to go confront Lilith, right? And like, luckily for us this week, like the conflict between Sam and Dean is very simple and easy to kind of figure out. So we don't have to dig all that hard. So he really wants to go and confront her and like try out his uh, new souped up powers on her to try to kill her. He's trying to convince Dean by saying that it's an opportunity And we'll talk about Dean in a minute, but he's not really on board. Obviously, he calls the idea reckless. And again, in this episode, Sam brings up the the idea or his opinion, I guess, that Dean would rather hide than fight. And like this has been a recurring thing for the last few episodes where Sam is feeling that Dean is holding him back and that he's just not up to doing this big saving the world from the apocalypse job. And he talks about it with Chuck too, like Dean's not Dean lately. And I think that this is really interesting because he says that his rationale for wanting to stop the apocalypse instead of Dean is to return the favor for him for having taken care of him for his whole life. And Chuck's really not buying it. This is Sam's, to to use the word, the theme of the day, convictions are not true. He is lying to himself because he really just kind of like you said, wants to go after Lilith. Chuck even says, like, you don't just, like, feel like you like the power. Remember, Chuck has written you to thinking you were his creations for these years. He has written things that you have never really said to each other out loud. Like, if we have to assume everything we as an audience gets are in the books and more, Chuck knows what's going on inside of Sam's head at this point. He knows Sam's thoughts. So when he says, I think you might want you might be this way, I think that's Chuck's I'm afraid of the demony powerful man way of saying, like, I don't believe you. And the way that Chuck approaches him too, right? Like he's really trying to, I guess, preserve his his dignity by going to see him when he's by himself to talk to him about the demon blood and like the power that he thinks it brings to Sam and the control that it makes him feel. And he just seems really sincere in that moment. To write these boys for so long, there must be some sort of emotional connection between Chuck and them, even if it's purely one sided right now. He wants the best for them. I'm sure he didn't want to write Dean into hell, but he was basically forced to with the way everything worked out. So I'm sure when he's when he's when he's in a position where he can speak to these characters and say, I'm hoping the right things for you. Like, I didn't want to do these terrible things, so I want the best for you. So when he's suggesting maybe the whole demon blood thing and going after Lilith are a show of power and less of your own convictions and you're lying to yourself, I think he knows more than he's letting on. Even beyond that, no matter what Chuck says, I think Sam's reaction to 
to Chuck's words are worth so much. Like you can tell that he's like, no, no, no. Like that is literally how my eight-year-old lies to me. Like, come on, Sam. Like, Sam very simply has his firm beliefs, whether they are that he really thinks this is the way to go or it is him, you know, justifying his actions. He is dead set on doing this and he's going to try. One thing I find interesting is that Sam doesn't manage to convince a single person in this episode. No, (laughs) no, no (laughs) one's on board with this. Even Cass, who's like, I have to play by the rules. These rules that can only be broken by not me in these very explicit ways. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, figure it the hell out, buddy. Yet no one's on board. No, no one's on board. Because Cass doesn't help Sam. He helps Dean, right? And we'll get to the reason for that later. Yeah, we'll talk about Cass more. But like, yeah, it, it clearly fits into the narrative of... Everyone's looking at Sam in the snare going like, nah, dude, nah. And our Dean this week? Dean is convinced that Sam is going to sleep with Lilith. Um, or at least it sort of seems that way. And maybe he is thinking back to Madison and Ruby, like, well, you've already slept with two monsters. Uh, you know, this is kind of one of those, like, I already have two nickels at this point, so three's not a stretch. And to be fair, like, his actual words are like, yeah, because something like that could never happen. You know, I've said it before, but like Sam Winchester monster fucker is confirmed. Like we know, we know, Sam. This is, I think, where like the comedy aspect of the episode shines through. And it made me really think about like um, mystery spot a little bit where like Dean, as he puts it, is going full opposite day to try to undo everything that could possibly happen in this prediction that Chuck has handed him with the goal of saving Sam. It's kind of a whole you can't escape your fate thing, because even when he does the obvious, okay, I get into a car accident, I won't be in the car, gets hit by a car. Well, car can't get damaged if I'm not driving it, gets mugged. Again, if we're sort of like keeping track of who convinces whom, I think Dean tries to convince himself a lot that he can make a change by doing all of those things, right? Like that's his attempt at convincing himself that like, his life is not ruled by fate, and I'll get back to that. He manages to convince Cass to help him, and he manages to convince Chuck. Yeah, Chuck was a little more dressed, but still, yes, he ultimately was able to convince everyone. He was able to... He had a really good argument. He did. He also threatened a gun, but he had a good argument. <laughs> that was his argument. It was very <laughs> convincing. It, it'll do it. But I think this also has like a bit of a deeper meaning. Especially from like a media study standpoint, when you try to imagine somebody like arguing their point and convincing people, it's much easier to do so when they're right. I want to come back to Dean being called the righteous man. I'm intrigued, but I just ultimately I feel like in this case, like, I mean, if we just like scoreboard time, which of them was right in this scenario? Should we have faced Lilith or should we have found a way out of it? I'm pretty confident that uh, Dean is right. Sam would have been screwed uh, or killed, more likely. Bad choice of words. But it's just like the Dean, Dean's convictions were right. Like he he had set himself in this position. And while the whole world basically said, screw you, things are going to go my way because I'm universe and deal with it. He still finds a way around it. Because he know he because he knows he's right. In this case, he is. I think that it comes from his deep 
desire to not have Sam confront Lilith. It's interesting because Sam says during the episode that like Dean isn't ready to fight, but like Dean fought for Sam in this episode. Like he fought for him by trying to convince himself to convince Sam also. He tried to convince Chuck, which he managed with the help of his gun. He tried to convince Cass, which he did with the help of his um, gun. I was like, his charm? No, okay, we're going there. And the really difficult thing, though, is that no matter what he does or doesn't do to try to avoid the events that Chuck wrote, he really keeps going on that path and getting closer to it, exactly like what you said earlier. And it's basically in that moment, like he has no free will and his life is entirely guided by fate. And the only one who's really able to flip the script, literally, is Cass. On that note, shall we go to Cass? So the last time that we saw Cass, he was telling Dean that he would give anything not to have Dean suffer. So I just feel like it makes sense that he would, quote unquote, allow himself to be convinced by Dean in this case. We have seen the wavering of those beliefs in Cass to the point of him verbally admitting it. I mean, his entire order and like guidance and everything about him is based on faith and conviction. So to stop believing in that or having your doubts in that is really loud. And, you know, and though he does go about it kind of in a roundabout enough way, as we've discussed, you know, he's willing to break those rules. We've hit a point now where, like, yeah, he's using loopholes to do it now, but he's willing to break those rules because he knows that what he's being told versus what he feels isn't the same thing. Exactly. And I think that this is like such a powerful narrative tool here because we know how important free will is to Dean. We've already had those conversations in earlier seasons. And so to see that Cass is the one who's able to make that happen, I think that there's something really powerful there. I think it goes both ways. I think just even Cass's willingness to break the rules and attempt to deviate from the set script, as it were, is due to Dean. I, I wholeheartedly agree. So as has become custom, is there anywhere else in this episode that conviction shows up that you would like to discuss? I want to talk about Chuck thinking he's a god because I can't think of anything funnier. Like he literally refuses every other alternative that Sam and Dean offer. He's like, nope, I'm a god. Like you got to acknowledge like his conviction in that moment. Like I just I just love that when he finds out he's a prophet, he's like, it's too preposterous and arrogant. Like, okay, Chuck, like thinking you're a god isn't those things like... Like, it's a weirdly Sam moment of, like, main character syndrome and then being told you're, like, very important, but not the main character is like, no. <laughs> Chuck, is, no. Chuck is out there making TikToks, like, main character energy. <laughs> There's also the moment that Chuck is trying to convince Sam that sucking blood is wrong. Yeah, but somehow uh, Sam has convinced himself that it's totally fine. Again, a very uh, I, I we've gone back to this well, but it's it's that he feels the ends justify the means, which I'm still doubtful of. There's also finally Lilith trying to convince Sam to stand down. And my big question to you now, knowing your predictions for season four, do you believe her? I'm starting to feel like given how close we are to the end of the season and how we are really not in a position to defeat her yet. 
she'll probably live through this season and into season five. Do I believe her in this whole stand down or like truce she was offering? How many ways may I say, no, this is a trap. This is a trick. New theory. This is totally an on the spot theory. I wrote down watching the episode. First of all, bullshit. You need more than a kiss to seal the deal with me. No, 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 no. You just want Sam's demon baby. That's what this is. She wants to get knocked up by Sam to have Sam's demon antichrist baby. And that's that's our that's why she's going to live for the next season. And somehow again, somehow it's been kept a secret for me. But by the end of season six, uh, Sam will have a illegitimate bastard son who is a demon. That's that'll be a thing. I, I give it till the end of season seven before we get Sam Jr. The demon. Interestingly, <laughs> like, how do I say what this? is your segue here? <laughs> There's something really interesting about what you said that we'll keep in mind. Again, listeners, please. I'm not asking for spoilers, but just like bear with me when the things come up. Be nice to me when I'm proven completely wrong. <laughs> All right, let's head on down to critical time. The episode was written by Julie Siege and Nancy Weiner. So Julie wrote It's the Great Pumpkin Sam Winchester and Chris Angel is a Douchebag. And this was Nancy's first Supernatural episode with two more to come in season five. Good writing. Uh, Nancy, I'm excited to see what you gave us next because you really started off on a high note here. Uh, and who directed this? This was directed by Mike Roll, who directed the season on the head of a pen. So to give you an idea. Expectations are high for you, Mike. Damn, you have got a pretty good track record. Would you have a story to tell us today? Mary has been very vocal, uh, whether on air or off air, that you were excited to hear more about Lilith. And there is a lot of Lilith lore. Lilith herself as a mythological character. Earliest records that I was able to find any like documented evidence of are actually from the very old Jewish texts. There's a lot of information about her where the name Lilith in different languages comes up and sometimes it's considered to be in reference to her specifically or not, depending on the translations, which I think helps build the mythology of Lilith from being this mythical character who, and I, I just want to share the actual story version because it's so cool. She was made as an equal to Adam in the Garden of Eden. There you go. Ha! That's what I wanted to hear. So most people know the story of Adam and Eve, and Eve was made from one of Adam's ribs. Lilith, who was made of the same clay by God, it all stems from the fact that she feels she deserves to be on equal footing with Adam and not be beholden to a man. And God's all like, nah, I'll just start again and make a new one. Fuck you. I know I personally have my qualms with religion as a thing, and this is kind of one of those areas where like, yes, it's an older story, translation, interpretation, all matter, but pen to paper, brass tacks, this is a terrible message. I want to be really careful when we talk about ancient texts, because a lot of them, you know, the practice of hermeneutics actually come from biblical hermeneutics or from studying sacred texts, not just the Bible. It's basically trying to make sense and make meaning of those texts. And a lot of the time, like, you have to dig a little deeper than just the surface level, like the Sodom and Gomorrah story, for example. Like that's one of those where you have to, you can't take it at face value. You have to really understand what it's really about. And I think that Lilith is another one of those stories, in my opinion. 
I love the lore or the, the story of Lilith. So then I hope my story today will at least tickle your fancy. I'm sure it will. She was sent away. Her crime? Seeking equality. She was made for a purpose, to belong to someone. But she wanted to belong only to herself. A new woman would be crafted, this time not from equal parts, but from one who she would be betrothed. She was made to leave. Others would interfere and ruin the garden from which she was banished. Even her lover, who schemed with the serpent, would not be cast out as she was. She was punished, not for her actions against others, but for wanting to be herself. Though she would be absent from stories as those in power would have her erased as she was banished, whispers still linger. Many stories of whatever happened to Lilith would rise. Some stories reveal her to be the first demon, whether a vampire or a succubus, or something else entirely. Others have forgotten her altogether, but her name becomes synonymous with dangerous creatures or evil monsters. In the end, Lilith forged her story herself, through the hands of other powerful people and independent people who sought equality themselves. She lived on, in spite of what the powers that wished her into existence tried to undo. To me, I think Lilith is the perfect example of a myth. We have her origins, we have some variations on those. We have other cultures and religions and mythologies that have shared connections to her, as many stories do tend to have common roots. She is unfortunately vilified in a lot of these, but I still think there are some, like some of the original vampire texts, where the first vampire is Lilith, that are seen as an expression of independence and self-discovery. So she really is this malleable clay to come back to where she started from, for people who need an icon to find themselves in. So from what I understand, Lilith, and and not being Jewish, I just want to make sure that I'm not claiming this space, right? But from what I understand in Judaism, there's an important component that requires Jewish people to ask questions, right? To wonder, to engage in conversation, to debate with one another, etc. And so I guess if I had to ask a question here, in terms of, of Lilith, it would be like, what does this explain to me? Or like, what am I getting personally from this story? And if I can offer an answer, it would be that sometimes standing up for yourself will mean that you'll have to, to let go of some people that you love. I think that's a very good way of looking at that. I, I like that. I'll be honest, I feel like when you started that sentence, I had a different ending in mind. I still am personally very critical of the story for its very rudimentary understanding of men and women. But I think from a single character perspective, that's very, very eye opening. Thank you. I did a class where we basically studied like the, um, the garden, right, with Adam and Eve and how, you know, because we were we are mostly aware of patriarchal interpretations of it but there are there are feminist and pro-women um as it was called at the time interpretations of it and I find that really fascinating and that's why I'm saying like I always want to take these sacred texts with a grain of salt because a lot of the time the meaning that we get today the surface meaning is not actually what the text is trying to tell us and so that's why like I'm always, always very, very reluctant to take 
biblical stories or religious stories at face value. For me, like there's something deeper. And a lot of the time, unfortunately, I don't have the background to be able to dig deeper, but I no longer take sacred texts at face value. If, if our show doesn't teach that lesson in some way, then I think we are failing. But it's the importance of taking the text and digging deeper. And what would you be sharing with us this week? This week, I have one single thought. One single thought. And that is, Chuck is introduced in an episode called The Monster at the End of This Book. That's it. That's my one thought. Am I allowed to attempt an interpretation? I understand this puts you in an awkward position because you don't want to reveal anything to me, but I have a few ways this can go. Either this is very literally the the books that I assume he will continue to write because Zachariah seems to be forcing his hand literally. And we are referring, this is like preluding to the fact that there is a monster at the end of this book that we're going to be facing. There is an ultimate big bad at the end of season 15. I think that goes without saying, but what does that mean now to think about it? It means there's probably more to it, which intrigues me. Or if we consider this episode, the book, the last thing we really encounter is the Archangel. Yeah, that's interesting. I like that. Ooh. Okay, so either this is a hint that there is a bigger bad at the end of the whole book that we aren't aware of yet, and this is a nod to it in some way that I'm not getting. The Archangel, I said Archangel earlier, I'm just going to correct myself and say, I believe it is pronounced Archangel. I think Archangel is me being weird. Uh, Anyways, the Archangel, or, I don't know, I'm just going to go with the weird option. Chuck's the monster at the end of the book? He's the big bad? So which book, though? (laughs) Because you just talked about books as being different things. Oh, no, I, I going back to the first thing, like the the the, the air quote in universe supernatural book series that Chuck is writing. He will be the big bad at the end of his own book somehow. He could write himself into the story. So we'll see how he deals with that. That's my off the rails prediction right now that Chuck is the big bad of the series. Uh, my on the rails one is that Sam becomes baby daddy to Antichrist with Lilith. Maybe Antichrist is the monster at the end of the book. And it's Chuck through some sort of time travel bullshit. Let's have a listen to what our community has to say this week. They'll make more sense than me. This week, we have a message from Jana. Before we listen to it, we want to remind you to send us a three-minute voicemail. Where do you see conviction in Supernatural? What is a real conviction of Sam's? Or to respond to something else we discussed today. You can use the recording app on your phone and just email us the recording at carryingwayward at gmail.com. Hi, Drew and Marie. It's Jana from Seattle. And I wanted to talk with you about um, season four, episode 18, The Monster at the End of This Book. I felt like the title of this episode should have been Revelation and Damnation because of how much it predicts everything that's to come in Supernatural, not just to the end of season five, which was Kripke's originally planned arc of the series, but all the way through season 15, from Chuck's description of God as being cruel and capricious, to how Castiel helps Dean, and the role that prophets play in the story as things develop. We look at the story biblically. One of the things that I noticed is that, like characters in the Bible who are called on by God, before Chuck actually espouses his role as a prophet, he declines not once but twice. And it's interesting to me that Dean is the one who calls him to perform. Chuck accepts his role 
as prophet when Castiel talks about it. But when Dean comes back later and calls on Chuck to be a prophet, to espouse the power and the protection that comes with being a prophet, Chuck says no twice. If you go back to the Torah and look, for example, at when God calls Moses to be his prophet, twice Moses says no, he's not going to do it. It's too much. It's too big a role. And that's exactly what Chuck does with Dean. Now, it's interesting to me that Dean is placed in this position as the one who calls him. He is the God figure in, in this particular story arc, which I think is fascinating because Dean is always the one who's making decisions and making important calls about what the brothers are going to do, about strategy, all of that. So that was really interesting to me. And in a parallel to that, when Dean calls on Cass for help, Cass declines twice before he steps up and helps Dean without helping him. And Dean is in charge even when it comes to Chuck's story. He shows up at Chuck's place and Chuck says, I haven't seen this. I didn't write this. And it won't be the last time that Chuck says something like that. But Dean's the one in charge. And so what we have is the revelation of Dean as kind of a God figure here. He's calling on prophets. He's calling on angels for help. He's managing the show in a way that only God usually does. In the end, all of their roles are revealed. Chuck's as prophet and Sam and Dean's as catalyst for everything that's yet to come. And we know, of course, that as a result, damnation is on its way. Damn. That was good, Jana. Oh, wow. Those parallels, the whole like declining twice thing. Like I, that, again, something I, I can't speak for you, Mary, something I never would have put together. I, thank you for bringing that to our attention. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that. I love that kind of like that disparity, that similarity, that connection, that like, oh, but I, I love the idea of comparing, comparing Dean to God is strong, but I see 100% where you're coming from. But I think for me, like the whole time I'm listening to this, I'm like, yeah, that's so interesting. I love these connections, literally calling on an angel and a prophet for for assistance, controlling so much, being in the right this whole time. He really is filling the role of what I guess someone who were in, was in Dean's shoes would have wanted in a god. Someone to ask for help and get the help he needs. If I may interject, in that moment, Dean is... The fa- both the father figure and the God figure that he wished for his entire life. Because we've compared John Winchester to God, especially in the way that Dean regards him. Uh, this, these parallels have been made also this season as well. So that's, you know, this is not new. But Dean is acting the way that he wishes someone had with him. He's tired of he's tired of asking for a father figure, a god figure to step in and do the right thing. He is just taking over that role. Jenna, honestly, thank you so much like for for bringing this to us and again, this is why I feel that these episodes are so powerful because like whenever our listeners bring us these little nuggets of incredibleness, we're able to like take it to another level that we would not have been able to take it just the two of us together. So thank you very, very much for this. Yeah, 100%. Thank you. And to anyone who can 
shed light on things we ourselves might not have background in. Thank you in advance, too. With that, shall we head over to some reflections for the week and see what we have to think about? Yes. The thing that I really connected with was just the reaction that Sam and Dean both sort of have to the having knowledge of the future. I don't ever suspect I'll be in a position where I have that much knowledge about my future, but that having knowledge can either scare you out of something and convince you to run and hide or can give you, in some cases, even false confidence in Sam's case. It's a weird reflection, but really the call to action that comes from this is something that I really haven't really said out loud to myself, but I I do believe deep down is something I hold very dear. And it's um, just do stuff. Don't. Don't let a lack of knowledge or a lack of understanding or a lack of information be the barrier to entry to something. Sometimes, and again, it's important to know where those lines are. Going in blind and experiencing things for the first time is totally fine. Bit of an extreme version, but be open to new experiences. Take calculated risks. Don't overthink things, but don't underthink things, but still try new things. Yeah, it's the whole saying of like, if you wait until you're ready, you'll be waiting your entire life kind of thing. And you, what would you be having to share with us this week? Katie and I just finished recording our discussion on episode 10 of Our Flag Means Death. And it really brought up a lot of big and conflicting feelings. Because with Our Flag Means Death, when the male leads have a chat alone in the moonlight with like close-ups of their faces, it clearly shows the emotional intimacy and the budding romance between them. And in this episode, where we basically have an equivalent scene where Dean and Cass are out at night in the glow of a motel ice machine, alone, outside, like also in the moonlight, essentially, I found myself like questioning myself when I made the same analysis. And I'm just tired of that. And so my call to action is to sort of stop second guessing myself because this show and this fandom have conditioned me to do so, unfortunately. I think there's a weird similarity in our two points this week. Like, I feel like there's a level of like going in blind, but also sort of accepting, like going with your gut, accept it. Kind of like what Lilith did, maybe when she didn't, you know, just saying. Anyway, yeah, moving on. Weird to side with Lilith, but I'll take it. Listen, I love Lilith. Not the not the Lilith in the show. But like Laura Lilith, absolutely. Hell yes. Laura Lilith for the win. You've been listening to Carrying Wayward, a supernatural podcast produced by Rochelle Castellano, hosted by Drew Shulman and myself, Marie Vigourou. Thank you to our Bunker patrons, Katira, Michelle, and Elle for their generous support. This week, we'd like to thank Jana for her message. Help us keep the conversation going. You can send us a three-minute voice recording at carryingwayward at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube using at carryingwayward. And leave us a rating and a review on your podcast service of choice. And don't forget to join our coffee or Patreon for perks and extra content. You can use the link in all of our social media bios or go directly to carryingwayward.com. Carry on our wayward friends. Mwah, mwah. Okay, okay, thank you. I was just yep. like, I don't want to say it if it's not that. <laughs> no, I've no, I've known many wieners in my life, and that's how they pronounce it. It's a weird sentence to say out loud. I know, I was going to say it. I'm like, okay, all right, good to know. <laughs>